This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. I have a really fond memory. Like my mom was a really amazing cook, but it wasn't something I really literally learned from her. Like it was very much her domain in the house. And I definitely watched and I think took things in just through osmosis. But it wasn't I think of like beauty is like how you conduct yourself throughout the day and throughout your life. This is the Food Podcast, a Village Soundcast network production where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. I mean, I think for me, that's what I love about cooking is this idea that it's something we all collectively share, like everyone eats. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. My cousin's wife, Betsy, used to run a cooking school out of her basement kitchen. Her cookbook library spanned the early 80s through the mid-2000s, filling the shelves of her study and lining every square inch of wall space in her kitchen. I inherited a big portion of her collection when she and her husband George downsized. I remember unpacking the boxes and lining my shelves with her books, watching as the story of her life through food took shape. There was a dive into France, the Rue brothers, Freddie Girardet, Waverly Root, Elizabeth David, a deep interest in American Southwest cookery. There was a Chinese phase and a Japanese phase and Tuscany. A few slimming books from the 80s, Alice Waters and Chez Panisse, and Claudia Roden and Nigella Lawson. There are notes written to herself in the margins of her books, little tips for next time. Some books are dog-eared and others are pristine. They tell Betsy's food story, one that is based in London, where she's lived for over 50 years, But the story also stretches outwards towards her interests, her travels, and her fields of research. It felt voyeuristic at first, owning this collection. But now her books are folded into mine, swirling two stories into one. Otto Lange next to Alice Waters, Nigel Slater not far from Elizabeth David. The collection will put someone off my scent someday, if, for whatever reason, Someone tries to piece my life together through cookbooks. Today on The Food Podcast, I'm talking to Carrie Lynn Pamer, CEO and co-founder of Cap Beauty, an online beauty and wellness shop and community. Carrie Lynn is also the co-author of High Vibrational Beauty, a cookbook designed to engage the senses and fuel us from the inside out. This book sits on my shelf in my aspirational section, telling the story of that chapter of my life when things shifted just a little towards more consistent daily health habits. In this episode, Carrie Lynn shares the cookbooks that have shaped her story. Today, on The Food Podcast. I'm going to start by taking us to New York for a minute. It was April, a year before the pandemic, and the air was thick. We had left our hotel beds that morning and trudged around all day, not to return until we'd wrung the city dry. The grime of New York coated our skin, the wind along the Brooklyn Bridge, the exhaust of the Lower East Side, 
the blasts of air conditioning, the stickiness of the journey all the way from the Guggenheim through Central Park and down slowly into the West Village. We had an hour before dinner, so we popped into a store I had read about online, Cap Beauty, known for natural beauty products, spa treatments, matcha powders, and its own brand of cult coconut butter, the kind you want to eat straight from the jar. We walked in, trying to look fresh and local, despite fatigue and the bags we'd accumulated dangling from our wrists. Would you like some tea? A dewy-faced woman asked as we walked in. Yes, please. The place was a jewel box, mirrored and plush, each shelf backlit with a gentle pink glow. I wanted to sink into the window seat next to the cherry blossoms stretching towards the light. Instead, I held it together and in a moment of clarity, reached for a tester of dewy facial mist. I closed my eyes, pressed down on the top, and suddenly, as micro drops landed on my face, I heard angels singing. There's a reason why people spritz their face after a long flight. A quick mist changes the subject, satisfying a need for touch, smell, and temperature in one quick spritz. I was renewed, clean and calm, ready to start again. I do this now whenever I feel the grime, the intensity, the weight of life. I spritz, inhale, and start again. Since then, Cat Beauty has shuttered its West Village shop, while its online community continues to grow. Its CEO, Carrie Lynn Pamer, is now based in California after 27 years in New York City. The pandemic taught many of us that we can work from anywhere. So here she is, in a new home in the mountains near Malibu, talking to me via Zoom. Behind her is a rugged mountain range, sharp against the blue sky. It looks like a fake background. Carrie Lynn often shares the book she's reading on Instagram, a 4 by 4 collection of books lined up in a square on the floor. Her latest features a guide to plants, a few novels, some Brene Brown, business books, and always, there are cookbooks. I think connection begins when we find ourselves and what others share. I cross over with the book in the top corner, How to Eat a Peach by English food writer Diana Henry. The cover is fuzzy, just like a peach, and inside is the best roasted fennel with citrus and harissa salad I have ever tasted. So we dive right into cookbooks. I ask Carrie Lynn to share a few that stand out for her, that tell her story as a cook. I want to know where else we cross over. It's funny, I've been unpacking my cookbooks since we've been here. And I used to be so reliant on cookbooks. I I love cookbooks for so many reasons, but the main thing is to just like see what's happening culturally at that point in time. I feel like it's one of the most reflective things you can actually look at and be like, oh, Lighting was like this and, oh, food was like this. And it's really revealing as to what's happening. And so I don't use cookbooks in as literal of a way. Like I haven't made anything from that cookbook, but to me, it's a favorite cookbook. I almost equate them with novels. It's like this tiny little point in time that I'll remember when I got that cookbook and I'll remember where I was. And I remember I had just moved here and I like was really excited to get the mail that day. And so they're almost more like markers of time for me than actual recipes in the way that I used to when I didn't really know how to cook when I was learning. 
but I'm not one of those cooks that's like, I don't use recipes and I don't use cookbooks. Like I still buy them and I still love having them around. And I think they're very special and really important to me to mark time and remember places. And Carolyn is sitting amongst stacks of books, tipping off her chair, stretching for what she's looking for. She holds up the late Judy Rogers book, the Zuni Cafe cookbook, named after the Zuni Cafe in San Francisco. I have a really fond memory. Like my mom was a really amazing cook, but it wasn't something I really literally learned from her. Like it was very much her domain in the house. And I definitely watched and I think took things in just through osmosis, but it wasn't like, come in the kitchen and we'll cook together. It was more like, get out of the kitchen and I'll bring food. But it was very much a part of our relationship is when I got that cookbook, making the roast chicken with bread salad together. And she was funny because my mom didn't really believe in recipes. And there was like a little bit of, a little bit of shaming to me because I was very reliant on recipes and like definitely came at it from a more structured discipline, like, oh, it has to be this way. And now I'm definitely not that way because I'm more comfortable but I was definitely like, I held to the recipe pretty tight. But that recipe, we did hold to it really tight together. And every time we made it together, we were totally astounded at how good it was. And it's ridiculous. I think it's four or five pages long. It's so thorough and so meticulous in its language and conversation about making this chicken, but it really is perfect. It's like a perfect, perfect dish. I was given the Zuni Cafe cookbook as a gift a long time ago. It's a thick, hardcover book with over 500 pages of instructional recipes. But every 100 pages or so, there's a collection of glossy photographs of the dishes, juxtaposed against the pages of recipes. The book begins with a chapter called, What to Think About Before You Start and While You're Cooking. A gentle launch into a brick of a book. I see that I have bookmarked the Zuni roast chicken with bread salad. It's famous. Carrie Lynn is correct. The recipe is four and a half pages long. My pages are pristine. I've read the recipe, or the bookmark says I've wanted to, but I've never made it. Everything about it is just really elegant and precise in a dish that you wouldn't necessarily think would need to be that, but when you apply this like kind of um, rigor to it. It was always just wild to my mom and to myself at how good it was. And so I have a really fond memory of making that with her. Another cookbook I love, I actually was thinking, I'm sitting right by all of them right now because I moved, but is um, one that's not as well known and is probably one of my most treasured books is the John Pawson Living and Eating, which people who know that book, are just as in love with it as me, and most people don't know it. And just like that, I'm back working at a cookbook store. It's 2002, and the owner is gushing over this novel concept, a book about how living in a space can inform how and what to eat. Helen Rosner wrote about living and eating in the August 24, 2018 edition of The New Yorker. She writes... John Pawson, the British architect and designer, rose to prominence in the late 1990s thanks to his style of ultra-spare, Japanese-inspired minimalism. He's the man responsible for those white-on-white Calvin Klein stores that defined a certain turn of the millennium aesthetic, and was once hired by Martha Stewart to remodel her mid-century modern Hamptons home. Pawson became known especially for his kitchens, smooth-walled, tight-seamed, with scant knobs. 
But he doesn't cook, or at least he didn't in 2001, the year he released Living and Eating, which is, to my mind, one of the most wonderful cookbooks ever published. This explains Carrie Lynn's aesthetic, how she leans towards Japanese ceramics, simple workwear, and clean surroundings, and her belief that beauty is woven into the food we eat, and how that food creates a feeling in a space. I studied interior design and environment has always been incredibly important to me. And I had like a really quote unquote, nice home childhood up until I was like seven. And then we had a very dramatic shift in kind of our place financially in the world. And um, our home was, um, for lack of a better term, taken away, like we had to move out of our home. So it's always been something that I've been really oriented towards creating home. And when I say home, I don't mean just the couch. I mean, like, what does it smell like when you come in? And does someone offer you a piece of cake? And is there something to sit down on that feels good that you don't feel like you're going to break? Like, I've been thinking about that in the realm of beauty a lot lately since setting up home here. Cat Beauty's tagline is, beauty is wellness and wellness is beauty. I know Carrie Lynn finds beauty in many places, in unlikely places. So we dive into the definition of beauty, and inevitably, the Irish poet John O'Donohue comes up. O'Donohue considered beauty a human calling rather than something glamorous. I think of beauty as like how you conduct yourself throughout the day and throughout your life. And John O'Donohue, I think, definitely mastered explaining beauty on a really, really large scale and how it has the ability to impact our lives in a positive way and took that kind of um, silliness out of the word beauty. Beauty isn't all about just nice loveliness. Like, Beauty is about more rounded, substantial becoming. So I think beauty in that sense is about an emerging fullness, a greater sense of grace and elegance, a deeper sense of depth, and also a kind of homecoming for the enriched memory of your unfolding life. That was John O'Donohue in an episode of On Being from 2008. This notion of homecoming, coming home to yourself, is enhanced when the senses are peaked through aroma, taste, sight, and touch. It's no wonder that a book on living and eating created by an architect is part of Carrie Lynn's precious collection. It was a birthday gift. I mean, the photos are really outdated, but I actually love them. I feel like they're just like starting to come around again because they're so outdated. And I mean, his architecture is like perfect. And the combination of the two of them and his recipes are genius. Like I really want to eat all of the food in it. There's a mushroom puff pastry dish that I use every friend who got pregnant and gave birth. I would bring that over because you can freeze it really well. He has something that we totally ripped off for our cookbook, High Vibrational Beauty. He um, has a Lapsang Souchong encrusted chicken and I don't eat chicken anymore. So we did it as Lapsang Souchong encrusted potatoes. So they're like salt-baked potatoes with lapsing souchong. So it, the tea infuses it and makes them really smoky. And we totally borrowed, ripped it off, stole from him and applied it to our cookbook. But all of this stuff, I mean, it's just like food you want to eat. A lot of Carrie Lynn is leaning over again, steadying the stack as she plays Jenga with her books. And, ah, here it is. It's sitting underneath the Margot Henderson, You're All Invited, which is an amazing book. Another book that I love or like kind of like series that I love, and I don't love these necessarily for the recipes. I can't, I can't vouch for the recipes, but Apartamento, the magazine does these cookbooks and they focus on one ingredient 
and they have really cool people do their interpretation. And it's very oriented often throughout that the, um, series. It's like very childhood memory or kind of conjuring up memories for comfort. A lot of them are like kind of cool, international, on-the-go people. And I always love, I mean, I think for me, that's what I love about cooking is this idea that it's something we all collectively share, like everyone eats. I've never heard of the Apartamento cookbooks, so I go online and have a look. They're cool little additions, almost like zines, with simple line drawings on the covers. They're collector's items. She knows where to find the cool stuff. Cat Beauty sends out a newsletter called Shit We're Digging. It's written by Carrie Lynn and her Cat Beauty co-founder, Cindy DePrima. And in each letter, they share what they're digging in a beautifully curated way. Their suggestions can be random. A yoga class, a pair of sandals, a favorite book, a recipe. All things that launch me off into a direction that I've never been before. It's a celebration of people, really, or crushes, as Carrie Lynn would say, that feels more like a top tip from a friend than a salesy pitch. And this leads me to Carter's cookbook, my latest favorite cookbook, that guess what? I learned about from Carrie Lynn's newsletter. I don't know what it is about this book. Recipes from a woman called Carter Wurr, who runs an Airbnb near Byron Bay called The Banana Shed, and photographed by her twin sister, Harry Wurr, a photographer and owner of a clothing design business working with makers around New Zealand. The recipes are simple and wholesome. The photographs capture the process of cooking, not necessarily the final finished dish. Basically, what a twin witnesses when the other twin is cooking. Homemade bread and pasta, banana bread, pumpkin soups, raw zucchini ribbons on a slather of creme fraiche on toast. A kitchen in action. The book is bound together by thread and protected by a plastic splash-proof cover. Nothing fancy or groundbreaking, but it makes you feel a certain way. At home. I wonder how this kind of goodness takes flight. How do small, self-published cookbooks find their way around the world? I found Harry, and I was literally on a plane. I was coming from L.A. to New York. I don't know why I remember this. And I saw her feed and just kind of went down the rabbit hole and was like, wow. You know, I think it's cool. Like, I think, I know there's so much complication with Instagram, and especially right now. It's like kind of going into this weird place. But I think you can energetically feel if something's real through Instagram. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have words for it, but I think you can feel it. And I don't think you happen upon it very often, but you do like you happen upon it. And when I found her, I was like, wow, this is really real and speaking to me on a level that's not targeted. It didn't feel targeted in any way. It felt very, very much like, oh, this is a friend. Like this is a friend of mine. This is somebody I'm going to go have dinner with this week. And then I just went like on a deep dive and was like, oh my God, she just gets more and more amazing. Like the story, it's like the knitting, the kids the new like house, the Airbnb that they're renting, the cookbook, like all of the things just spoke. It was kind of like, check, 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 check. That's how this book made me feel. A sense of kinship with strangers who I connect with by cooking their food. And then I can share that feeling with my words, my voice, and perhaps it will resonate with someone else as well. That's how beauty travels around the world. And it wasn't all that different, food-wise, pre-internet. If a cookbook was good, 
the word got out. One of my very favorites, I don't reference it very often, is The Silver Palette. I think that was maybe my first cookbook I ever bought. I worked in a cookbook store in Nantucket. I lived there for a summer. Not a cookbook store, a kitchen store, and they had cookbooks there. I bought it before that, but like the world that they created in terms of their writing and their illustrations was just so desirable to me. It's so kind of exotic. It was New York. It felt really like intellectual and creative and just all the New York things that I didn't have when I lived on the West Coast. So I definitely idolized those two women, Sheila Lukens and Julie Rosso, I think. I still have that one. It is really, it's burnt on the corner. Like it would like sat on a stove top. I like use my cookbooks pretty hard. So they're not precious objects. Oh, the silver palette. It came on the scene in 1982, packed with a mix of Spanish, Mediterranean, and Asian flavors. When according to Bon Appetit magazine, quote, everyone was obsessed with French cooking techniques. Lucans and Rosso introduced readers to arugula and pancetta and pesto way before it was cool. I can't remember where or when I came across this book. The cover features the original silver palette food shop that once existed on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. But I have this book and the one that followed Silver Palette Good Times with co-authors Sheila Lukens and Julie Rosso this time on the cover with their floppy updos, eyeshadow, and shoulder pads. These women look like they have personality, just like their food. Maybe these books came in the shipment from Cousin Betsy. I don't know, but I know that I've been making their famous chicken marabella ever since my friend Victoria made it for me years ago. That recipe went viral long before the internet. Prunes, garlic, red wine, capers, chicken, bay leaves, all stuffed into a pan with olive oil, vinegar, and brown sugar. It's really, really good. How many dinner parties were had with that? And then the Deborah Madison ones I adore, and that was like kind of an introduction. Um, My husband introduced me to those. He was a vegetarian when we met, and I was like a rabid meat eater, so I didn't understand it at all. So I associate in terms of that kind of time stamping thing with the beginning of our relationship with the Deborah Madison cookbooks, and she's just prolific. Like She just doesn't stop writing really great cookbooks. I'm sitting here pulling this episode together in front of an empty fireplace. The chimney was capped off decades ago, and it's cold in here, and I have to do something about it. The Huga is minimal. I grew up with a guy who left home to become a model and an actor. When I was studying in France, I would pass his face on a billboard on my way to class. It was an advertisement for cologne. He now lives in upstate New York, He's gone back to university and owns a firewood business. Through the winter, he loads up trucks for delivery into Manhattan, where cords of hickory are delivered to restaurants smoking their own meat. Ash and apple head for pizza ovens, while cherry wood, it's destined for private homes with fireplaces. He says cherry produces the best snaps, crackles, and pops. He is selling something that creates warmth, sound, aroma, and glow. He's selling a sense of home. After all the years of apartment living in New York, Carrie Lynn and her husband now have a fireplace in their new home. The mornings are getting cooler. 
cool enough to light a fire. I love that. I used to be so jealous whenever we would go to the grocery store in New York and it would be starting to be this time of year and I would see like those little bundles of wood outside of like the bodega. I'd be like, oh God, I wish I could buy one of those, but I have nothing to do with it. And now it's funny, I go to the grocery store here and it's here, but I don't need to buy it. But I'm so fortunate and so lucky and so grateful to have the fireplace. It's an external form of beauty, yes, but one I believe John O'Donohue would say makes us feel more alive. Before Cat Beauty, Carrie Lynn used to own a high-end clothing store in New York. It was filled with beautiful things, but over time, she didn't enjoy the conversations that took place around clothing how they could be alienating because of cost or body types. But I'm a person who really loves including all, as many as possible. And I felt like one out of 20 women would come into the store and be able to leave with something and feel good. And that number just didn't feel good to me. It was like really depleting to see that because I understood it. I was like, I understand that feeling of lack. And that's when something shifted. Carrie Lynn says it happened in an airport of all places after an overnight flight. We got off, it was like a red eye, and there was a woman who was helping with the baggage. She was an employee of the airline. It was really early in the morning. It was like maybe three, four in the morning. And she was wearing her uniform. It was just like, you know, her standard, like, I don't know, United, whatever, airline uniform. She had on like this shock of bright pink lipstick. And I had this whole moment where I was like, wow, she like put on her uniform, and then went to the bathroom and put on this very intentional application of lipstick that clearly did something to her. She did that for a reason. And I just loved it. I was like, it was like this commitment to herself and to what she thought was beautiful. And it wasn't necessarily my aesthetic. It wasn't a color that I would normally be drawn to, but the commitment to her and to her modifying or making herself feel different really intrigued me. And it was right when I had come up with the idea for Cap, and I was like, wow, that's like a really um, powerful interaction with self that with clothing, you just don't really have. I wear the same thing pretty much every day because I have like a uniform, but like a lot of people don't. So you don't engage with it on a daily. And I think there's something really powerful. Same thing with food. Like when you interact with something daily, I think there's more power in that act than if you interact with it every few weeks. And so I loved that. I loved the daily consistency about skincare and taking care of yourself. And I'm not in any way suggesting that natural beauty is inexpensive, but it is less expensive than what I was offering with the clothing. So there is a bit more access. It's still too expensive for some, I'm fully aware of that, but it's an easier access point than the clothing that I was selling. So now there's Cat Beauty and dewy rose water and coconut butter that's so good you can eat it off a spoon and a newsletter that celebrates people around the world. I love celebrating people, especially from the comfort of my living room, which will someday have cherry wood crackling in the fireplace. Thanks to Carrie Lynn for walking us through her life in cookbooks. You can head over to thefoodpodcast.com for show notes on all that we've mentioned today. And Carrie Lynn can be found at capbeauty.com or on Instagram at Carrie Lynn Pamer, K-E-R-R-I-L-Y-N-N-P-A-M-E-R or at Cap Beauty, Cap with a C. Thanks to Jen Grant for our theme song. But before I go, I just wanted to say that over the years, people have asked me how they can support the show, and now you can. 
We're on Patreon, and we're working on some extra perks for those of you who'd like to support us this way. You can visit us at patreon.com forward slash the food podcast. But either way, episodes will always be free. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 